Welcome to The Word Podcast. I'm Seth Williams. And I'm Brendan Ward. And we're here to discuss all things local real estate, legal, title, market, and really anything else we can come up with. So stick with us on this journey as we talk about The Word. Brendan, good uh, good afternoon, man. What's up, Seth? Welcome back to another episode of The Word Podcast. Probably one of the most anticipated. I know the listeners have been waiting with bated breath for this one. Bated breath. Uh, we've actually been getting uh, an unrealistic amount of paper mail here at the at the office, at the Word office uh, headquarters in, in our studio, all about this particular uh, episode around buying and getting ready to buy, right? Because... A lot of people I'm getting questions. a lot of demand for it. Yeah, you're right. A lot of questions out there about buying right now. There's a lot of um, a lot of interest in in the market right now, and I think that in general, people don't know what to do. I remember when I was first a first time buyer, I was just looking for a trusted professional to help me out, and there wasn't. You know, I I had to, I was a relic to Zillow. And uh, and some uh, some paid ads maybe to to get a realtor to engage with me and so our our aim oh. today is to spend a significant amount of time on several getting ready to buy steps. What do I need to do when I'm thinking about buying? What do I need to do to get my finances in order? I'm reading my cliff notes over here. Yeah, and then, and then finally, you know, I guess everyone will be in this ready to shop phase. After, and then you just got to find the house, right? The hard part is getting ready to find the house, I think, and getting oh. clear on your expectations. Wow. I didn't realize that. I thought you found the house and then everything else fell into it place. together. Yeah. So um, that's not how it works. I mean, so, unfortunately, that is sometimes how it works uh, when you have unprepared buyers out there kind of jumping in and they're they're behind the eight ball, as the expression says, right? So they're they're uh, they're in a tough spot and they're and they're forced to scramble and maybe work with someone who they're ill prepared to work with. You know, there's there's so many real estate companies out there that make their entire business on this on the Zillow model where they're doing what what we've coined like the driveway consult. And that's where you're meeting your agent for the first time after, you know, in this on demand economy, you went and saw the property for the first time. So um, we we here at Reference specifically always like to do a little bit of a better job of doing a, a full buyer consultation, as we've coined it, and get clear on what that client's looking for well in advance. And uh, and then we go see properties after they've gotten their finances in order and, and have prepared their down payment and the like. Um, you know, So we're going to cover a lot of that stuff today, uh, which I think will be, uh, will be good for, for the people. What do you think? I think it's awesome. And I can't wait to learn about it because in my mind, I thought you just like, you know, looked at the listings, called the listing agent and said, I want to buy that house. And then you figure it out, like how to do it after. So this will be enlightening for me and probably a lot of other of our listeners that don't know as much as you. Yeah. Well, our, our aim is to inform today. So let's, let's get after it. So, Let's get started with, I guess, just getting ready to buy, right? So yeah, um, there's a few things that we like to always cover in a buyer consultation, that first initial consult. So if you're a buyer out there and you're wondering, hey, what should I be getting clear on? One of the obvious ones is location, obviously, right? Now, hey, I, I'd like to live here, I, but I think 
you know, I'd like to live in Marblehead maybe, but it doesn't necessarily mean I can afford Marblehead. So I think, um, you know, or Nahant for, for the high falutin folks on the pod that are living in the beaches of Nahant. So, um, hmm. like Nahant Ave? Uh, no, it different. No. Like, oh, like, no, little, different like kind little, of Nahant. Like little Nahant, yeah. Oh, um, oh. So, uh, obviously, just a joke uh, at my co host here. So, um, yeah, listen, there's locations pretty important. Most people are thinking, you know, well, why do I want to live here? It usually starts by peeling back the layer a little bit and getting focused on what's the real motivation for the move. Yeah. Right. So, obviously, people move for a ton of reasons usually work, usually family, friends, uh, school systems, um, commutability to work typically, or to see one of the previously mentioned items. Um, they're looking for more space. They're looking to upsize, downsize, and the like. So we always want, want to find the true motivation for the move because it helps paint in, um, in line a lot of the other reasons why the client's um, considering uh, relocating, right? It's kind of an obvious one. Um, and, and obviously, usually clients have that by the time we're engaging with them. And, and we interact with them more when they're curious about the specific market that they're looking in, they're clicking around online and the like. Um, yeah. Can I ask I, a question here? Yeah, please, please. I'm a buyer and I just had one of those events that you just talked about that makes me think, yep. wow, I want to start looking for a house. It, it, how do I begin looking for someone like you? Right? Like, how, how do I... Do, do I start thinking about where I want to live first or do I start thinking about how I'm going to figure out who I want to work with? Probably a little unconventional. I'm actually, I'm putting it back on the client a little bit. I think most people, if you think about the genesis of home buying is they get curious about a market and they end up mm -hmm. on the internet researching the market, right? So, um, but there's a real motivation behind that, that clicking, right? That I think is important. And so, um, chicken or the egg. We live in an on-demand economy. I think it's going to be really tough to stop the consumer from doing some due diligence up front at the market they want to live in. But the right thing to do is if you've, if you've honed in on several different areas um, and maybe you've looked at the market online, chances are you've, you've clicked on something or maybe visited an open house in the area and are starting to interact with realtors. So what most buyers do is they hire the first pulse that interacts with them, right? They run into a listing, excuse me, in the, in the area they like, and they said, oh, that guy, that guy or that gal seems normal, I suppose. They're a realtor. I don't know a realtor here. Will you please help me? Or they have the listing that particularly they may, they may want to put an offer in. And this is, this is to your point, like, it's the wrong way to do it. It's the wrong way to do it, right? So, Let's say in the example, you were looking in Marblehead, you were looking in Nahant, you're looking in Winthrop, you're looking somewhere on the North Shore. The right thing to do is to find a local expert on the market, right? Because they're really going to solve a lot of these steps for you. So there's there's probably a, a couple of ways, Brendan, you could guess how one would go about doing this. Why don't you take a stab at it for us? Um, Zillow. Okay. Instagram. Instagram, interesting, okay. Or Facebook. Okay. So I would think I would find the agent I wanted to work with either through one of those channels or maybe even the TikToks. Um 
or an online listing. So Brendan's relocating to Scottsdale, Arizona tomorrow. You're browsing TikTok to try and find the local expert. Is that correct? Not necessarily. So, not so what I do. Try, yeah, I'm yeah. To, I'm just trying to clarify. Because I think to a degree you're you're probably right. And I think that's what's interesting and will make a further point about what agents so, should be doing later. So I'd start on Zillow, right? Or realtor.com. I would yep. go and I would look in that market that I'm looking at. I would also go on Instagram and I would start following realtors in that area to like sort of see what's going on. Um, because I do like Scottsdale actually, and I follow a whole bunch of realtors in Phoenix and Scottsdale just to like keep up with it. And there's a couple that are better than others that I like their okay. content. Yeah. And I, I, I inevitably, if we buy something in Phoenix or Scottsdale, like I, as of now, could tell you the the one that I would reach out to. Who is it? Uh, I'd have to go back and look at my Instagram, <laughs> but I, like I can see their logo. It's like a mid century house with like palm trees, and I think it's like. Twin Properties, Arizona, and, or something. And, and you love a mid-century house, so I do. That, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So, so yeah. Listen, I think if if you're a consumer right now and you're like, oh, how do I find a local expert? First off, I I think it doesn't really matter what avenue you want to take, but you're going to start it online. Make no mistake. Yeah. So you're gonna hit whatever your generation is or whatever's closest to the consumer. Probably is some relevant social media platform, Instagram. Facebook, obviously, for more of the older generation, the boomers, people like my age and above, a uh, little bit lower age, you might be more into the Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever. Um, Zillow, Realtor, and the like, they're all going to report back on past sales of different realtors typically. But as an example, like I, I actually don't put a lot of emphasis on either of those platforms, mostly because they're lead generation platforms that consumers get their data sold off of okay so when you go on zillow sure it's syndicating with the local mls and it's providing you usually with some of the most up-to-date listings um it emails me like a million times a day with like does every new listing yeah so my my you know it's actually quite interesting um a side note when i was selling a piece of property recently because i had claimed my house on zillow yeah it, it every day sent me a report on my house which is, you know, should be the industry standard if you're a realtor, right? If the automated algorithm of Zillow is doing this reporting, then we need to be doing better as listing agents. Anyhow. I get automatic updates on houses I don't own. Like, it thinks I own several yeah. houses that I don't yeah. know how it thinks that I'm the owner of. It thinks the same of me. It's probably because <laughs> yeah. I've clicked on it or I've requested info on it. Or, yeah. um, hey, update me on this listing or something. Uh, yeah, there's a house in Weston. I like every six weeks or eight weeks, I get a, an update on its value. There's a like my neighbor's Weston. house, Weston. Like I like I don't even know how this happened, but like I get the like automatic updates on this house. So those those platforms are very pay to play, right? So early on in my career, I was spending thousands of dollars a month on Zillow to buy consumers' data to get opportunities at bats to show people properties. Right. And the reality is sure in the on-demand economy, the client is going to get what they want in going to see a house, whether whether it's calling a listing agent, it's the path of least resistance. We're never going to stop that. But the, the reality is I don't prefer to cultivate clients that way. So a lot of the times what we're doing is working on direct referrals, some other Google advertising and the like. So, But nonetheless, what you should be trying to find as a consumer is the local expert 
in that specific zip code or neighborhood, right? So every realtor usually covers a handful of areas. Um, and then there's other people on their teams that kind of tag in and cover stuff. And, and, he, and there's even sometimes when we've had specific properties just a little outside our reach, we're going to go ahead and tag in the local market expert. And we'll figure out that out on the back end, what that looks like for us, right? But um, listen, hop online, hop on social. And the person who's making content informing the market like we are right now should be the person that you reach out to, okay? So, so for certain, um, starting with trying to find a realtor is important. But while you're doing that, there's parallel paths you should be taking. Like, obviously, I can't find a realtor in the local neighborhood I'm looking for if I don't know what neighborhood I'm looking for, right? So, um, and I always caution clients to pick fringe markets too. So in the example before, if I was talking about Marblehead, then we should be looking at Salem. We should be looking at Danvers. Um, we should be looking at Swampskit and the like, right? So as an example, if I'm looking at Winthrop, I should be looking at East Boston, Revere, maybe Chelsea, right? Like you have to pick some immediate surrounding communities because sometimes you just can't get what you want at the price point you're in with the with the grim inventory situation that we sit in today in the middle of 2023 right so um so you've you've found your area you're starting to research realtors and uh you know something else that i think consumers should do that often they do not do is they should try and interview multiple agents okay yeah, uh, I I get to give, give kudos to some of our our, our, our mutual recent clients uh, who will go unnamed. Um, they interviewed, I think, six or seven realtors. Now, personally, I've never been part of a, of an interview process as extensive as they took it, but they took it very very seriously. They're also not first time home buyers, so they probably, like most people, experienced maybe a bad real estate experience, which I think most consumers probably don't have the best experience quite frankly um when it comes to buying or selling homes so they did their due diligence they um they interviewed multiple different realtors they whittled that down to three different agents luckily i was in the realm and uh and, and then went on to further do a second round of interviews and just get clear on some expectations and they had great questions prepared so just to tee up some of those questions a few things that i think um actually you know what, um, let me put it on you what are what do you think maybe three or four very basic questions you should ask an agent as a buyer's agent. If you were interviewing someone in Arizona, hey, I'm thinking about hiring a realtor. I'm looking about relocating for a vacation home. I have a few questions for you. What do you think they would be, Brennan? I think they would be, uh, what is your knowledge of the market? What is your understanding of the market? What What is your relationship with other realtors? Because I understand that sometimes listings don't come on the market and they are either a pocket listing or off MLS. Are you going to have access to those if I hire you? Do you are, are you persona non grata in the, in the real estate community? Or are you friends with everybody and people call you when they have listings and you sort of are in the know? Um, right. Also, what does your network look like? Are you going to have a lender for me? Are you going to have a lawyer for me? Do you have a mover for me? Do you have an electrician for me if I need an electrician? Do you have a pool guy? I'm going to be living in Boston. I can't be servicing a pool. Do you have, like, what does your network look like? Yeah. What is your what is your expectation and, and what do you hold yourself up to to respond to my request for information? Like, are, do you have, like, I get back to emails within 24 hours. Like, I don't leave for the day until I've, like, right. what are your communication policies? Yep. Yeah. Um, what do you charge? Well, these are all great, right? So I think yeah. this is a great uh, first uh, uh, breath of questions. There's only a couple, and, and you hit it. It's the network is really important, right? Because 
something I tell all my clients is I really want uh, the team here at reference and the brand here at reference to be the general contractor of the sale. We're going to QB everything, you know, so whether you need a couple different attorney recommendations, a couple different lender recommendations, you need the electrician post-sale, pre-sale, pre-inspection, whatever it is, you just, all you got to do is ask us the question or we're going to give you an unsolicited recommendation about things you're going to have to do as part of the transaction. So great few uh, uh, questions there. I think there's, there's probably only two additional questions um, and maybe some people will find them a little harsh or a little unreasonable, but I think one of them uh, for starters is, um, do you do this full-time? Are you a full-time realtor? Because I think, um, I think that matters. Okay. Now here's the deal. Um, somebody be like, dude, well, Hey Seth, you were part-time at one point. Well, was I, I worked 40 hours a week at a job. I also worked 40 hours a week in real estate. I just had two full-time jobs before I had, uh, you know, enough enough of a client base to be able to jump in and do this, you know, a hundred hours a week, whatever it is. So uh, I think that's important because I, and you can probably ask it a different, a uh, different way in the sense of, you know, how many clients do you help at a time and how many homes did you sell last year? And tell us about a recent offer you had accepted or something like that. <clears throat> what type of contingencies? I, I disagree. Are, tell me why. Cause I think that's, you know, I think that that says, are you committed to being a realtor and are you able to support yourself doing this and are you good enough to do it or are you just playing around in this and I may get caught up as a casualty in your inability to commit to this as a full-time job. Sounds like you agree. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I'm not saying I I disagree. I'm just saying I, I think you're being overly generous with the you know sort of genesis of the question i th- i think the thought process behind it is like am i going to be yeah am i going to yeah. be abandoned because you're like it's the at, day you don't work at, or you at, watch at your oracle, grandkids at oracle in a in a in a conference room right so yeah. when the house i want hits the market at 4 p.m. on a wednesday where are you did you send it to me or did i tell you about it because you're busy in on a conference call or something right so um, yeah, yeah, listen, that's another those, thing. I, those, I, oh, sorry. I was just say those things are really important because what most people I'm sure don't know, we say the stat all the time here in the field, but like the average realtor sells two to four homes a year. Okay. And it, in fact, if you take about 75 to 80% of all of the transactions across the U S the top 25% of the agents are doing them. So uh, an agent like uh, myself and my team who's going to sell over 100 homes this year, we're, we're doing 75% of the volume in our market typically, whereas the, the other 25% is made up of, the, of the, the vast majority of agents who are doing one, two, three, four deals a year. And so the reason that's important is market knowledge, availability, are you full-time? And to your point, are, are you gonna, is this your part-time job as you help me make the largest financial decision I'm probably going to make in the next decade or, or are you doing this for real to help clients? Right. So, um, and again, I think most people, unfortunately, like 90% of clients just hire the first agent that they interact with, that they, that they get along with instead of going through an actual interview process, because this is a job, this is a job to get done and, and it is high stakes. So it should be treated as such. As a consumer looking for an agent to help me buy a house, is it 
should I be expecting that somebody's going to ask me what I'm looking for? Like, what's important to me? Do I want, you know, certain attributes? Do I want things? And should I also be hearing, you know, some questions or redirection of like, well, are, have you thought about other areas? Have you thought about this place? Have you like, sh- should it be more than sitting there and being an order taker and more of being a consultant uh, to me? Right. Should, should, should I be having someone that's just writing down everything I say and yesing me or like, sh- do I want somebody that's going to push back a little and say like, well, you said you want three bedrooms. Would you consider two if it were upstairs, downstairs? Like, when you hire all sorts of other people, they sit down with you and they go through like an extensive questionnaire about like what it is you want, what your goals are and like what is important to you. And they try to assess like where you can get moved on certain things. Like, you know, I know that when we meet with people on the estate planning side, like we're trying to unearth, like what are the pain points that have brought these people into the door? And then we're doing a really comprehensive job of walking through all of this. And and I know that when I met with my wealth manager and, you know, sat down with him for the first time, there was a lot of discussion about like what my goals were and what I was looking for and what my, you know, what I would put up with and what I wouldn't. And, you know, should we be alarmed if we're a consumer and we don't get that the first time we reach out to a realtor? Okay. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know where you were going at first. Yeah. Really confusing me. But yeah, no, I think, I think. That's the point, right? So we ask open-ended questions to try and really understand the motivation and and the reason behind where they're trying to go. And and that goes into a ton of different info, whether that be around budget, rooms, beds, baths, must-haves, must-wants, right? This should be very conversational. And I think that's why, to, not to circle back to it, but that's why like I hate I hate the Zillow platform, right? Because I'm starting my relationship with Click. I'd like to see this. I don't know you. you. I'm you. You show up. You think I'm the listing agent. You probably might be working with somebody already, but that part-time agent that you hired in the conference room didn't didn't send you the property. You found it. You wanted to see it. And again, in this on-demand economy, people show up. And now, you know, you're not really adding value to me, right? So hopefully, and chances are, if if that's the type of agent you are, and I'm again, I know tons of people have built their business on. I'm not ripping it. It's just I choose to not conduct my business that way because I want to onboard clients and learn learn their true wants and needs kind of the way you're recommending. So, yeah, be alarmed if someone's like, do you want to just go see it? Like, you know, that's we're not like an order taker. They're they're yeah, essentially listen, like working at McDonald's. Like, if, here's if your you fries think, and hamburger. If you think in 10 years you're not going to be able to click on the Internet and go and either get a digital code or have someone meet you there that you never have to talk to or get spammed on the phone between AI and all these online platforms, you're mistaken. There's going to be ways to get in a property and see a property with without calling Seth Williams, right? And and there already are, and these are the platforms you're talking about, right? And listen, But I'm not going to have Seth Williams walking through the house with me telling correct. me that it's okay that that electrical system is old. Like, don't be yeah. scared. You don't have to update it. Right. Don't be scared that that refrigerator is, you know, not the same color as the other stuff. Like, I don't get that experience yeah. and knowledge of you. Correct. And and when you're making the largest, and, and listen, again, in those Zillow interactions, I hate to keep calling it that, right? But, you know, this this now becomes a monetary game where I, I challenge the, you know, maybe the, um, I don't know, the motivation between the, the realtor, right? So, um, 
it's just a weird way to start the relationship. So yeah, to to yeah. To, to end your point, yes, be alarmed if you're not getting asked tons of questions by your agent around your wish list wants and needs. We always do a pretty informal or formalized buyer consultation on Zoom or in person where we're going through that those those wants and and we are widening the search and we're asking um hey what's on the must have list what 100% could you could you strike if you had to could you do a two car garage instead of a three whatever right um and uh once we have all of those things and, and I really like the uh the must haves the non negotiables discussion right like for for instance for me whether it's this house or the next house like I I love cooking I just want a badass kitchen right I I'm not moving to a house unless it has an owner's suite at this point you know what I mean these are the things that I think you just want as you progress in life um you know what I want well what do you want desperately I want a I want a kitchen that is closed off like I would like to be able to really? like well, I, yeah, from the rest of the entertaining spaces, I would like to be able to shut the doors and if there's a caterer, have the caterer in the kitchen and have like people in the rest of the living spaces. So like, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. There are things that like I want. I don't think they're must haves like an owner suite. Maybe I must have like, but I, I get what you're saying. That makes complete sense. And there are things that I really want. And if the house had it, I'd be like, yes, let's do it. Right. So, so as an example to chase this very specific analogy yeah a good response to what you just said so brennan it sounds to me like you love entertaining tell me more about that right and now we're having a cons uh, a conversation around you entertaining and the pain points in your existing home and and then i may say something like so brendan when did when did your last home stop working for you oh well you know we did this 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 you know and and you start to really understand that the real reason Brendan in this example is thinking about moving is, you know, once COVID happened, you entertained a lot more at home and blah, blah, blah. And when you do entertain, everyone's right in the dining area in the kitchen and that, and that you don't love because the kitchen's a wreck because Andrew makes a mess when he cooks. Right. So like, yes, so hundred you know I mean? like, percent. Listen, I've been to dinner parties at your house. So yeah. Um, uh, and your house is laid out exactly the same. So like you yes. get my pain point, right? Like yeah. we have huge open, like one room floors, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, a, a great solve for that. I was talking about this with Jen last night, yeah. some sort, some sort of walk-in pantry to house a lot of those would just be yeah. a complete game changer right now. These are first world problems, obviously we're talking about, yeah. but, but as an example, these, these yeah. sort of consultive conversations to really understand the motivation, not just like, I want less of a commute. It's like, yeah. what do you really spend your time doing and how can we help you figure that out? And that really helps us paint a picture. And, not to fast forward all the way to the end, but if you think about it, when we find that perfect house that has those things, the key is taking a stab at it and not hesitating and actually getting it under contract, right? Which we'll cover at a whole other episode here. So, um, okay. So once you've done, so it sounds like things, you're, Oh yeah. Go ahead. Just to point it out though. It sounds like there is a real process of onboarding and, Correct. and learning and meeting the agent and, and, I wonder if you are interviewing the client just as much as they are interviewing you. Like, is this somebody that we can work with? And is this someone that's going to see value in our approach to real estate? Yeah. Listen, I think when you're, when you're new in your career, there's, there's a saying saying, if you lead generate, you don't have to tolerate. Um, you know, we're at the, we're at the point of the team where, yeah, that's why we have a team. We're very busy. We, we try and do right by our clients. We have great reviews. 
And so, um, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm working with a very select group of uh, buyers at the moment. Um, but yeah, listen, I think it's the dream of every realtor to, if you have someone who's disrespectful or, um, you know, not cognizant of your time or unrealistic in budget, unrealistic, not loyal, um, ill-tempered. These, these are clients that quite frankly, sure. I don't want to work with. I think for the new, for the new agent out there, your time is less valuable. You need to go learn and experience this market and experience more clients to, to become valuable to the market. Okay. So, um, but yeah, for, for sure. Um, I think sometimes too, cause I do a lot of the onboarding or intake and then I'll, I'll match make, right. So there's clients that I onboard and, um, and go through that consultative, um, workflow. And, and then I'm like, you know, who's going to be great for this person is Eric because Eric is cool, calm, collected, um, and, and patient. Um, and, and sometimes organized, sometimes not. Right. Um, and then there's some people that are like a little bit more, um, you know, uh, eager and like they want to get out and, and they need someone more local. And, and so maybe they go to someone else on the team. Right. So um, maybe they're in my backyard. So that's a buyer that I'll particularly help as I try and stay closer to home uh, with, with um, working on buyers. Right. So there's there's definitely a lot of matchmaking that goes on, uh, not just with the house, but with the agent and the, and the right person. So because it is uh, a personal relationship, right? Like you could be 100%. spending weeks, if not months with this person, like quite regularly. Yeah, listen. Yeah. And all, a lot of our clients become uh, friends, and and we hang out with them after the fact. It's it's a lot of fun, and, and uh, you know they join us at client events and whatnot that we have. Um, Save that for later when we get to the end of it to talk yeah, about I the know. benefits of being a reference client. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, but yeah, listen. Like we want to we want to be the realtor for life, right? People move every seven to ten years, and so um, we know that it's probably not going to be their their first and only purchase. Um, we move a lot more than we used to, right? As as people, so, um, and I'd love to see some of our clients too get a little bit more savvy in investing, in effort to create some generational wealth. But that's a whole other pod. So, yeah. So it sounds like we we found a realtor to talk to. We've we've identified who we think we want to work with. We sit down with them. We we now we decide that we're all going to work together. What happens next? Yeah. Um, so part of part of the consultation is uh, obviously we're talking finances. Hey, what's in savings, what's in bonds, whatever, what's in the market is our down payment liquid. And a lot of people obviously think that um, they have to put 20% down, which to be clear for the listeners out there is not the case. Three plus percent down is completely adequate and uh, up to a pretty steep price point up and in, up into this uh, high balance conforming loan area, seven, 800,000. So, you know, that's as little as 20 to $30,000 at a higher price point, or obviously at a lower price point, it's you know, three, 400,000, it could be nine, 12, $15,000. Obviously you're going to need closing costs on top of that, which, which we'll touch on. Um, so we do spend a lot of time talking about finances and obviously a huge part of that is and my favorite question. Hey, Brendan, when we find the right house for you as part of this process, are you going to pay cash? Or are you going to go through a bank? Oh, I, I will need to go through a bank unless the house is $2.95. So I, I like that question because first off, it's respectful. Okay. Yeah. Um, it sounds a lot better. Like there's agents out there that refuse to show homes unless the client is pre-approved. F- fastest way to piss off a, a prospective buyer, to be clear, because the consumer will find a way in that house without you. Yeah. Via Zillow, via Realtor.com, via Redfin, where I can schedule a showing digitally online. 
and uh, and show up. So um, I like, you know, you just never know who you're talking to. I've talked to clients like, hey, you know, $2 million purchase. Hey, we'll find the right property. We're going to pay cash. We're going to go through a bank and finance it. And I, no, I'm going to pay cash. Great. I'm just going to need proof of funds. Send that over. Boom. Proof of funds in the email, name of the account. And like, if I if I ask the question, hey, Brandon, are you pre-approved yet? You're, you know, th- that just doesn't feel right. Um, you know, we just we just met each other in this consultative, you know, at an open house or whatever this follow up appointment I'm doing. So I think that's a really respectful way to go about it. Are you paying cash? Are you going to go through a bank? It'll shock you. Seems like much. a very Best Buy. Like I feel like you picked that up at Best Buy. It's. I think it's just the right question to ask. I think asking yeah. the right questions is is a big part of being in real estate. Um, because again, hey, hey, are you are you pre approved? Assumes negative intent. Did you talk to anybody? Do you know what you're doing? Do you even know what you know? Again, like maybe you, you're maybe you could sell a piece of property and pay cash because you know rates are high. Whatever. We're just not going to assume anything, and I think that's a better question to learn. And usually, you know, I felt get, much better when you asked it that way, right? Yeah. So, like, clearly there is some psychology behind that. No like, doubt. you you can tell that you not your first rodeo. Yep. And and uh, you know what usually happens? You get a quick chuckle. No, nah, man, I'm gonna have to. I'm yeah. gonna have to go through the bank. I don't have that kind of money, right? And we yeah. have a good little laugh about it. And say, hey, so talk to us a little bit more about what you have in the bank, and you know, where's the money? You know, how much do you think about putting down, right? So we talk a lot about that, right? And and obviously, when most people say, "No, nah, I got to go through a bank," well, now it's we just got to get this person pre-qualified or pre-approved, right? That's that's a huge first step. There's a couple there's a couple firms out there that actually will do a soft credit check. Um, and try and uh, issue a uh, pre-approval letter. There's other firms that are going to do a hard inquiry. You know, what's I, the I don't, average consumer like? What's the difference, and why would I care? Yeah, I mean, so as someone who um, is hyper focused on their credit, I think it determines a lot in your adult years of what you pay for things. Especially as someone who buys a lot of real estate, I personally hate getting my credit pulled. Right, so I usually have it on lockdown. I'm usually monitoring it a lot. So, um, so I think some buyers are just. They go from this like consultative, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on to segue hard into let's get pre-approved is scary for them because they may know their credit's not great. They may know they have too much debt. They may have student loans that they're worried about. They may not have the down payment saved, right? So I think it's important to understand kind of that process. So depending on where they're at, maybe yeah. we send them to, to one lender to understand financially what they could do maybe we send them to another lender because they're like nah man i'm ready to go my lease is up in 40 days i want to buy something fast right so i think i think it comes down to the consumer so is this just like applying for a credit card like you just fill out the form and then like you hear like it just responds like we're sending you an amex yeah i mean it's not it's not that simple but it okay it kind of is now i mean there's there's so many different lenders uh, whether it's anthony over nrl jason over at cambridge savings bank Shant and his team at Guaranteed Rate, um, you know Lacey and their team at Cross Country. Um, geez, I, I'm sure I could go on, right? So yeah, there's there's uh, uh, the Frower gals over at Fairway. That's actually the company that started doing um, the soft credit check. Uh, it, it just launched actually, so you can basically get pre-qualified on a soft credit, which means there is no hard inquiry, which means your point, your score does not go down. Most people think that when you're shopping for a pre-approval, every single inquiry. Um, hurts your credit. That's not the case. You can get multiple different inquiries and, and ideally you're going to try and learn the most from multiple different lenders. So, you know, I meet with you, you ask me if I'm paying cash. I say, no, unfortunately, Seth, I have, you know, $25,000 in my savings account. 
I've okay. got, you know, a little bit, you know, I got a decent amount of my 401k, maybe 125 and nice. I'm sick of renting um, and I'm ready to go. And you start talking like that and I'm already like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm renewing my lease. Yeah. So talk uh, me down. Okay. So here's the deal. First off, Brendan, great job saving all that money. That must've been really hard. Well, my company just does it. Your company just does it. Well, that's cool. It's you still had to opt in. Give yourself a little credit, man. Oh, thanks, it's, man. It's hard, it's, it's hard to save money in this in this economy. So good work. And based off the budget we're looking at, that's more than enough. And and the bank will really like to see the reserves that you have saved. So good work. You should be proud. All right. You feel pretty good right now, don't you? I do. Yeah. So I don't so, have to re just renew my lease and forget about this because I no, was overwhelmed. So, so, so here's the next step. I'm going to put you in touch with XYZ Lender. Yeah. You're one of our trusted partners. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I do this a lot of the times, so just a little time out, depending on the personality and where yeah. they're located and the type yeah. of product they're looking at. I yeah. kind of, I play matchmaker just like I do with the agents. Yeah. Right? So I, I know that this person is a, is a little bit more high touch. They're going to need a little bit more explanation. Well, that means they might go with this lender, right? Um, I know that this person doesn't care and they're just going to be head down. They might be a little unresponsive and, and all they're going to do is shop rate. I know they might go with this lender. So mm -hmm. um, we'll play matchmaker. Um, sometimes we'll send them to one. Sometimes we'll send them to two. And we'll let the lenders, you know, whoever wins, wins, right? So, um, so Brendan, we're just going to send you over to so-and-so and so-and-so. -and -so. There are a couple trusted lender partners. They're going to have you fill out an application on their website. Super easy. I'm sure, like, you know, you mentioned an AMX earlier. Just, like, filling that out. And they're going to go ahead and uh, and look at everything. They'll probably ask you for, for some extra documentation. It's pretty easy now. If the company you're working for lets you e-sync a lot of those documents or they might need your W-2 or whatever, but they're going to go ahead, pull your credit. And honestly, with a couple follow-up questions, they're likely going to issue you a pre-approval and tell you uh, probably that you can afford way more than you actually want to spend, which is good. So super easy process. Take 15 minutes to either read their email, talk to them on the phone, whoever you feel more comfortable with. I would just challenge you to chase. Very simple. Oh, that doesn't sound as overwhelming as before. No. I was getting obviously techie with the with the yeah. checks because yeah. I, I just hear I just hear that as such an obstacle. Like I don't want them to check my credit. Okay, well, never we, once would I even think about that. Well, that's probably because you have great credit, right? So when when you're when you're uh, and I'm not trying to stereotype to be clear, but when you're yeah. a renter, it's probably because your credit is under seven. You don't have the down payment, or you or you just simply have not even thought about buying because you do not want the responsibility, or you know that buying where you actually want to live is too expensive. But as re as rents continue to increase, yeah. more and more people should be thinking about buying. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, We always run into it. And I, I think it's always because people start looking online up to two years before they're actually ready to buy. So the, so the Zillow consumer, let me think about it. How long have you been looking in Arizona on Zillow? Three years. You know what I'm saying? And like- yeah. Are you ready to buy down there? No. no. But you're learning the market a little bit. You're piddling. You're dreaming a little bit. Yeah. But but eventually you're going to be ready. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's just it's just important that and, and listen, we may we may get your information as a buyer through a billion different channels. You could be referred to us because you mentioned it at a bar one night. You could have clicked on an ad on Google. You could have seen our signs and called us to find out how we don't know. Right. Yeah. What we what we do in the back end. But the the average consumer is not transacting for a couple of years and and obviously some others are um we actually did this exercise a couple uh, months back 
we took about 20 recent buyers uh, that we had and about like 20% of them were came to us in the last few months. The vast majority were a year plus and, and about another 25% for two years plus, right? So it just depends. Like these consumers sometimes are point and shoot. I want to go see it. I want to buy it. But yeah. more than likely they need some education and help and, and they start looking and they're, and they're hesitating because they might not be ready for down payment reasons, credit reasons, whatever, family, spouse, other situations, work, yada, yada. So well, I think it's important to hear that, you know, there are people that can talk you through this, right? So like, no doubt. and clearly, you know, a lot on this topic. And, and I think as an average consumer, like half the stuff you brought up, like I never would have even thought of like that I needed to be done or that like, you know, it, 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 and this is not a part of the process I'm super involved in. Right. So like, I also don't see this. So like, this is all super enlightening to me. Well, that's good. That makes me yeah. happy. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's a few other parts of um, getting ready to buy and getting your finances yeah. in order. There's this concept of closing costs, which like everyone's heard of and no one knows what it is. Even, even I find that people who have bought and sold before are still perpetually perplexed by what these elusive closing costs are, right? So um, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what closing costs are? Because that is something that is handled a lot by you. And, and yeah. you can kind of back into some some math, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And I think the, the reason, by the way, that's important to discuss now and not at the end of the transaction, because there's this concept in buying a home of a minimum investment. So when I say 3%, 3.5%, or 5% down, those loan products you have to put that exact amount or more down on, right? So so if I'm buying a $500,000 house, depending on where it is and what the taxes and all the stuff are, which you're going to cover, I'm going to need my down payment. So let's say I'm doing a 3% conventional loan on a $500,000 house. That's $15,000 as a down payment plus my closing costs. So just because I have 3% saved, unless you get a magic realtor who's going to get you those closing costs covered in a really hot market that we're in right now, which, by the way, we've done that before. Reach out <laughs> to us. Um, then you, you need to understand that there's a little bit of extra cash that's often needed, depending on the loan program. So go ahead and walk us through some of that a little bit. Yeah. First, the before we get people excited about having their closing costs covered, you know, it's a it's, it's a tough. very precise game, and it's tough because you can only get so much covered. Before yeah. the loan, uh, the loan forbids yeah. uh, an excessive amount of credits or closing cost credits. There, so, li- just for clarity, <laughs> there's, so there's limitations on that. Yes, you you can't you can't buy a, a house with three percent down and get four percent back in closing costs and and put money in your pocket. At least not in residential, primary residence real estate. <laughs> commercial real estate, different story. We're not another, doing commercial an, today. An, another episode <laughs> for another day, but. Yeah, so that's a great point, and and I think every loan program and every lender is a little bit different, but the, they they are, yeah, good point. And it and and it's something that the underwriters like, right? So especially when after an inspection, and we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but we start talking about credits, it, it becomes problematic if they're too high, right? Like, so weird concept. Oh my god, like why would the credits be too high? And then. Um, you know, as a buyer, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Of course, there's no such thing as too much credits, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, but then you get in trouble when you start lowering the purchase price and you keep the credits high because then you blow the ratios off again. So like it's a very delicate balance. But closing costs are essentially 
broken into, I would say, three major categories, right? Like no one in this is doing anything for free, right? So you are paying everybody for everything, whether you know it or not, right? So the loan officer is getting paid. The mortgage company is getting paid. So the first series of costs that you're going to see on your closing disclosure is what in, it's other, otherwise known to, to the consumer as a CD um, is going to be your lender costs. And there's going to be uh, origination fees in there. There's going to be appraisal fees, credit score fees, flood mapping fees, um, all sorts of little ticky tacky fees. So, you know, on average, uh, you know, they, they're, and if you're buying points, the points will be on that in that section yeah. too. I usually estimate all in, it's usually maybe one and a half percent. I don't know. I don't know how well that formula shakes out, but like if you said a five hundred thousand dollar house, it's probably seventy five hundred bucks, give or take. And obviously, yeah. and obviously, like which you'll, I'm sure you're going to get to here in a minute. Yeah. Um, the town matters a lot because taxes matter a lot, and taxes are a part of it, right? So, to your point of everyone multiple paid, mul- in in multiple ways. Yeah, I wrote that yeah. down. Um, yeah. of everyone getting paid because the town gets paid, the lender gets paid. The realtor gets paid, the bank gets paid, and the attorney gets paid. And the registry of deeds. And the registry the of deeds. Insurance companies. The state, the state yep. gets paid. Yep. Everybody gets insurance paid. Insurance gets paid. Yeah. So uh homeowners associations, if it's a condo. So yep. first, you know, the first major set of fees, and I'm just going in the 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 structure yeah. of the CD, are gonna yeah. be the lender fees, right? So sure. at, at at box A are gonna be your lender fees, typically points origination fees, flood mapping fees, credit monitoring, appraisal fee is all going to be up there. And with the appraisal, it may it may not be due at the day of closing. It may be a paid outside of so the CD is also broken into what you're what you're paying for on the day you close and what you've paid for before closing, but they're all considered parts of the closing costs. So that appraisal fee is going to be in there and those are all lender fees. Then right. you're going to have title fees. In most states, lawyers aren't necessarily required to be involved in a real estate transaction. Unique you, Massachusetts point. is is unique in that we are one of eleven states that are what are called attorney states, where attorneys have to be involved in the certification of title to a lender for real estate uh, for for a mortgage. And I'll I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but. Um, next section will be the title fees or attorney's fees. So that's going to be all your title search fees. It's going to be making sure that the property is owned properly. It's going to be confirming with the city or town that the real estate taxes are uh, paid and any water and sewer bills are paid. That's called a municipal lien certificate. There's going to be a mortgage plot plan where somebody comes out and looks at the property to make sure that there are no encroachments from neighbors of sheds or fences or anything to make sure that everything is within the boundaries of the land. So the, the buyer pays for that. That's on there. Um, there's going to be, um, there's going Insurance. to be uh, homeowners. Well, that that's lower down. There's going to be your legal fees or title fees. And sure. then there's going to be lenders title insurance. So you have to buy, title insurance for the lender, right? So everything the lender does, you as a buyer are paying for it, right? You're paying for their settlement nice. fees. You're paying for their all of their protections. And what the title insurance does is it only protects the lender and it only protects the lender during the course of that particular mortgage. And what it says is the lender is in good condition that if they were to foreclose against the owner, 
that they would be protected and there would be no title problems as to the lender. It has zero protection for the buyer and it goes away the second you refinance and then the new lender is going to make you get out a new lender's policy. So then uh, the next thing in that section is going to be lender uh, owner's title insurance. And that's what protects you as the buyer. Uh, It lasts for the entire time you own the property. And what it does is it protects you when you go to sell it or at any time during your ownership. If someone says that they own the property, someone tries to say they had a lien or encumbrance against the property, your title insurance company should theoretically cover you for that after you make a claim. So it protects you. Also, when you go to sell it, what it does is it tells you that you'll not be prevented most likely from be, having to sell the property to clear out title problems. It will say that the enti- the title insurance company of yours and the potential buyers will work together and do what's called an indemnification and undertaking. See, you just you said that I was going too deep on on and and you were going to not buy. I mean, you're scaring the people, Brendan, about closing costs. Well, I haven't said what they all cost yet. I'm just breaking down what the no, costs I, on there I'm, are going to be. I'm just razzing you. For, yeah. so for the listeners out there, episode 10 of the Word Podcast, a whole hour episode on title, title insurance. So if, if Brendan is confusing you out there yeah. on, on all of why would you get these things and, and, uh, and, and who's really covered and why you should buy them because you know some of these policies are quote-unquote optional. And, and I, I personally think you are just a fool if you are not taking them in because it will protect your biggest assets. So for a well, we just trip, found out today we have a, a sale that yeah, might have a title that, might yeah. have a title problem of a, 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 a well, unknown probate. It, it's it's got one man. And, and who knows when that is going to close now. Right. So, uh, well, we don't we're still trying to confirm if we have an owner's title policy, though, so that we can try to close with this process where the two title insurance companies will say go ahead and and, and yeah. do the transaction and we title insurance we'll companies it, yeah. will fix it later yeah um, so again i didn't mean to cut you off but yeah so 10 of the word we had uh some wonderful ladies on to cover title work so probably worth worth a uh uh well if you're a nerd you're gonna like that episode because we we spent some time on it we also yeah. talked about a, a lot of uh, title issues too, which was yeah. fun. So, um, so con- continue on. Yeah. So then after that, you get down to um, recording costs. So you have to pay to record the deed. You have yep. to pay to record the mortgage. You'll pay to record a homestead. If it's a, a homestead, what a homestead is, is a homestead is another optional thing in Massachusetts. As a consumer, it protects your Tons of equity. In the property, it protects you as an individual up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of equity, and it yep. can't and, and it allows for a a for you to not have your house sold beneath you to satisfy creditors if anybody ever has a judgment against you. Fifty bucks sounds pretty important. Thirty five to record. Well, I think it's thirty five. Thirty. Uh, it's like, yeah, fifty is probably the right number. And as a married couple, you can protect up to five hundred thousand. So it's two fifty per person, married couple up to five hundred. So then, next section is going to be your prepaids, and this I think is where the taxes come in, right? So this is yep. where people I think miscalculate and misestimate what their closing costs are really going to be, and it it really depends on the day of the month you close. It depends on what month and the quarter yeah. you close. So most lenders want to have like a quarter or two quarters of taxes in escrow. So what that means is they they want you to prepay 
several months of the real estate taxes. So when I was talking about the fees earlier, I talked about an MLC from the city or a municipal lien certificate. That tells us what the taxes are. Then we divide that and and break it into a monthly number for the bank and say, you know, the taxes based on $12,000 a year are $1,000 a month. So then, and I'm using that because it's math I can do. Sure, yeah. Um, so the 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 bank may say, well, we're in the third month of the second quarter, so we're going to collect five months of property taxes, so that we have you know enough. enough. Or we might be in the first month, and they're going to say we're going to collect three. So it depends on where you are in the cycle too of how much they're going to collect. So that could be based on the real estate taxes from from town to town or or you know price range to price range it could be you know significant amount of money or insig- right. or, or right. like not you know right. something that's going to kill you. They're also going to want to see uh several months of homeowners insurance as well. Um if you're buying a a primary a a, a standalone property, so they're going to want to see that in addition to the 12 months you've already purchased. So they want you to do a full year and then they're going to take extra months and they're going to hold it in escrow. And for first time home buyers, escrow is like this whole other concept that is mind blowing. Let's, let's hit on that real quick. Cause I think it in, in to try and shorten it. Yeah. Closing cost. There's a ton of additional costs that are prepaid and or due to other parties who are helping you secure the property as part of the process. So yeah. the attorneys, the banks, and the lender and the realtors all are making money. Yeah. And 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 obviously they're not, this isn't charity, right? Everyone's trying to, they're putting in time and money, and so they're gonna get paid, and that's all part sometimes of the closing costs. And and then what the biggest thing, which I think is very confusing to consumers, is part of that too. I think most people expect people to pay a fee. Right? Yeah. I think the other half of that is what ends up being the prepaids, to your point. Um and and specifically some of the escrow funding. Okay, so yeah, to shorten it, escrow, like so, the you're going to borrow a half million dollars from the bank to buy an asset with as little as three percent down. The bank wants to, wants to know for a fact that the taxes are paid on time, that the insurance is always paid, protecting their asset. So in case of disaster, they will get the insurance money, and and all is good. So what they make. A buyer do is write the check for a full year's worth of home insurance. Okay, and so that's part of closing costs. Usually, you're going to get home insurance for two thousand to three thousand dollars around here, depending on where you're at, your credit, and all that other type of stuff, and, and the asset. Right. So that's a that's a couple thousand dollars in and of itself. And then, Brendan, to your point, not only are we going to make you pay for it in full, and we're going to make you pay for the taxes for the quarter in full, but we're going to make you pay several months three two three or four or five depending on the lender depending on the month into a kitty right a a separate bank account that the bank is going to manage for you of course on your on your behalf and um and at your expense and at your expense and they're going to take care of those bills for you right so i'm going to pay my current bills that are due now and then i'm going to start pre-saving at closing to this hypothetical escrow that the bank manages. So usually it's like three or four months, right? So if, let's just use again, easy math. If my insurance is, you know, $2,400 a month, then, or sorry, a year, then a year. that's, that's $200 a month. Mm-hmm. And if I have to pay three or four months into the, into the escrow. 
that's six to $800 in additional closing costs towards prepaids that funds my account just for insurance. Mm-hmm. They're going to do the same for taxes, right? So mm-hmm. once we're up to taxes are a little bit steep. Most homes are eight, nine or $10,000. That means for a quarter, you're talking 2,500 bucks. That so assumes quarter, that your community is doing quarterly taxes. Some communities right. do them three times a year. Sometimes they do them half a, half a year. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's what, so, you know, it's funny, like, and I think lenders get a little peeved when you're like, can you send me an estimate? Can you send me an estimate? Right. The, these things are, are things a great realtor can help you with mm-hmm. because, because the loan costs are going to be fairly static outside of rates and whatnot that are, uh, have been really volatile lately. But like, th- there's a reason why Peabody is so desirable. It's because they have great taxes. It's really low, which means your closing costs are lower, which means your also mortgage have- and escrow is lower every month, right? So, and they also have a municipal like, yeah, municipal like company, which makes it even better to live in. Instead of me shelling it out to National Grid, getting creamed with these crazy rate increases, thankfully they're going down. I just get to pay my sixty dollar bill to Peabody Municipal Light. So there's a lot of municipalities around here. So you know, a great realtor is going to let you know about those couple things. And and so if I have a five to six hundred thousand dollar pre approval you know, my cash to close or what I'm pre-approved for might increase in some of those municipality towns. So in, in I know that I said it was in short, but escrow is a big part of, uh, of those prepaids as well. And so I would usually think one and a half to 2% additional savings should get you to the closing table. And big thing to point out with escrow is that it's always your money, right? Like it's not the bank's money until the bills come due. So if you refinance, they're going to send it back to you when they get paid off. If you, um, the, the big pitfall for especially first time home buyers is that the escrow can be recalculated and you may get a letter in the mail that you need to send a check to true up your escrow account occasionally and i wouldn't sit at home waiting for this one to happen dude it just happened you, to me you got an escrow adjustment in your favor they sent you a I, check i i just got i just got a notice this morning on uh the florida property the florida airbnb uh i recently switched my homeowner's insurance to a significantly better provider um which was also much cheaper they did an annual escrow analysis which is what it sounds like they look at the cash in and the cash out and the bank doesn't want it to dip below a certain uh, position. I had access in there. They cut me a check for almost a G, and my payment every month just dropped three hundred bucks. Isn't that something? That's winning. Yeah. On the flip side, when yep. we built our house in Winthrop, luckily uh, we were assessed previously at the land, at the land amount, which was like four thousand dollars in taxes. And then they said, "Hey, boom! How about twelve grand? Escrow short." Your payments going up a G, so you win some, you lose some. Yeah. To your point, to your point, um, you know uh, what is it? Uh, the there, what's the saying about death and taxes? The two real things in life. They never right? go. So, you can't avoid either of them. Yeah. Right. Like so. To your point, Brendan, don't sit around and wait for a tax cut, uh, especially in a fl- inflationary times. We would we would really uh, expect that those will always kind of creep up in the interim, but. Don't get lost in the two to three hundred dollar mortgage pay, payment increase. Sure, no one loves to see it. Um, once you have certain equity, if you'd like, you can sometimes request to be removed from escrow. So 
for like the salespeople out there that get huge bonuses or or end of year bonuses and they want to stripe those checks, you you do have an option to go through that. Or if you put enough money down at purchase, you can opt out of escrow, 20% plus down typically. Uh, it's always kind of the bank's call, but, and I know we're going down like a super rabbit hole right now, but all of but this is super important. It, when it It's comes part to of understanding how much cash. money you need. Exactly. Correct. Like you, you need to think about this before you go out and yeah. start shopping. Right. So like, right. What it sounds like is we've done a real good job of charting out the finance discussion. So are there any right. other things you talk about with a buyer in terms of the finances um, prior to going out and, and shopping? I think, um, you know, I, th- I think it's an important, it's honestly, we always spend a lot of time on just, hey, I, I like to ask people, <clears throat> Hey, what's your cash on hand? Like sometimes people are investing. Sometimes people have it tied up in the market. It might be in your Robinhood account. It might be in your Roth. Talk to me about your current liquidity situation, right? And uh, I think as long as you get trust, people are going to hit you with the details, right? Mm-hmm. And and listen, we all have talked to the clients out there that maybe feel a little bit more reserved and they don't want to share that at first. Get the lender involved, right? right? That's the lender's job. And and, mm-hmm. and listen, I, I don't I don't personally have a hard time getting that information out of clients. It's very important. If we're going to embark on this journey together, we need to be trustworthy. And so obviously they share that with us and we take it to the vault. But yeah, there's been times when say, hey, listen, if you're not comfortable talking about it, talk to so-and-so. They'll, they'll go through everything with you. And then typically the lender can clue you in and be like, hey, listen, looks good on my end. They got their plenty of savings, whatever. Um, and so the, the current existing savings and liquidity is important and, and reserves are important. So you mentioned it earlier. Oh, I, I have a bunch of my 401k. Banks will take that into consideration because they always want to see a couple months uh, saved up of additional payments, right? It doesn't mean it has to be liquid. It doesn't mean you need it to buy the house, but they want to see it stocked up in case of an emergency, in case you do lose your job or in case you, you get incapacitated at work. Again, the bank's Unfortunately, just they're out for themselves to make sure that they're you're not going to default in the asset, right? So, um, honestly, we spent a lot of time on that, and uh, I mean, what a great place to kind of cut it off. The next part's getting to see properties and find something and put it in contract, and I think that's great for us to cover next time. Awesome. I feel like I learned so much today, and it may entice me to start. You know, maybe I'll start interviewing realtors and you know, talking about my, like trying to get my finances in order. Uh, I'm inspired by this. You're inspired. Time to I'm inspired. Crazy. Yeah. We can hook you up with a good referral too, if you need yeah. it. So, um, but uh, hopefully for the listeners out there, this was informative. If you want to hear some specific topics about getting ready to buy or getting ready to sell, uh, comment, like, subscribe, shoot us an email uh, or, um, or yeah, you can comment on the YouTube and, and let us, let us get some feedback on what, what you're thinking about and what we can do to create different content for the buyers and sellers out there. So, Brendan, And let us know always, if you agree with us or disagree. Yeah. And, and if you don't agree, just don't, just don't tell me, you know what I mean? So huh. I'm just kidding. No, you can let us know uh, regardless. So Brendan, as always a ton of fun and I look forward, I think next time we'll be talking a little bit more about getting ready to shop and, uh, and what an offer looks like and what some of the paperwork looks like and why that's important, what deposits look like. And, and a couple of the next big steps. You're a big purchase and sales guy, and I'm sure you'll have Ooh, can't plenty wait to for talk that. about as, as proverbially we hand the baton to the attorney once we put something in contract here in Massachusetts. So hopefully this was helpful for all the, uh, for all the fans out there, all the buyers. Awesome. Thanks, Seth. 
Thank you for listening to The Word Podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could take a minute and leave us a quick review, not only do reviews give us valuable feedback, but every positive review tells the algorithm to push this episode out in front of more people. If you really want to help us out, send this podcast to someone who you think would benefit. Thank you so much, and we hope to see you next time when we talk about the Word.